Hello, everybody. Welcome to the MZ Car Guys podcast. I'm Matt. I'm Zach. And here we go. Uh, Zach, what do we got on the docket today? So, one, I think that's my line. But anyways, <laughs> um, uh, first off, I want to say uh, you can find us on social media such as Instagram uh, under MZ Car Guys. You can find us on Twitter under MZ Car Guys and um youtube under mz car guys and uh funny enough you can also find us on anchor uh anchor.fm slash mz car guys and we're now on all the different uh podcast mediums and matt i want to talk today about general motors what oh, do you yeah. think just killed off a bunch of cars didn't they well they killed off a bunch of cars, but I think I, I, I think the problem with General Motors is much deeper than um, than than just oh hey they're having some issues and they had to kind of restructure and organize themselves a little bit, you know, because everybody does that, you know, you you go through a little bit of problems with your, you know, with uh, you know, with your budget, maybe, you know, this year's not working out so well. So you kind of have to, you know, maybe not go out to eat so much or, you know, you just get kind of, you know, you know, Christmas gets a little bit light in the present area and that type of thing, you know, so that's not what it, it's easy to see what GM, what General Motors is having to do as that. And it's really so much worse than than what people even realize yeah I, I agree it's it's and let's not forget they're cutting back on their lineup at a time when the economy is booming yeah which is very odd so very, very concerning so, so to give everybody kind of an idea here of 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 what's happening now so general motors kind of they they guessed that because they you know what Matt why don't we just start from the very beginning and okay. I'll and I'll, I'll I, I won't bore you too much with the history of it you know I love the history of, of the automotive world um and one of the one of the early people um in uh in in, in kind of the the, the the united uh, the one of the early people in the United States uh, or actually just North America let's just say that um, who was very influential on the uh, on how the on how the automotive market was going to form what it was going to look like in the early 1900s was a man by the name of William C. Durant. Um, now, Durant uh, in 1908 uh, created General Motors <clears throat> um, as a holding company. Um, so that kind of gives you an idea of where this is headed. He didn't create an engineering company. He didn't put together... You know, he didn't do like what Buick did, what, uh, you know, Fransom uh, Olds did, 
what even Henry Ford did, you know, which they built a car company, you know, a car manufacturing company. And William C. Durant built a holding company. And the distinction is, is that his entire plan was to group together and buy up as many car companies as he could get a hold of. Because in 1908, you know, a lot of these car companies are struggling, trying to get going, trying to get going, trying to get going. Uh, can we say Google? Um, and they're just, he was just buying a bunch of them up. Um, I mean, literally the very next day after he, you know, founded General Motors, they, he purchased Buick. Now that wasn't a bad thing. Buick was kind of struggling. Um, their, their, uh, their initial, uh, what's referred to as the curve dash, uh, you know, Buick runabouts uh, weren't selling as great as everybody had hoped and stuff like that. And so he actually saved Buick from disappearing, um, strangely enough. And so I kind of thank him for that. But his, um, his and if you really want to read about some just really nastiness, uh, you can read about how Ransom Oles uh, who began what company called Oldsmobile, which everybody kind of heard about, um, how he was forced out, um, you know, in, uh, in, in 1908, um, later that year, it's, it's, it's really nasty. It's really nasty. Now, he did get his comeuppance, um, you know, because two years later, you know, William C. Durant was kicked out of, uh, was kicked out of General Motors, uh, and then, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, who was it? Uh, I'm reading this off of a Wikipedia, so, um, do 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 do, because I'm trying to remember. Let me let me help you out a bit. Um, okay, so <clears throat> in 1911, Durant started the Chevrolet Motor Car Company. Well, um, no, it wasn't Durant. It's what? No, it wasn't Durant. I'm reading off of Wikipedia here. So um, in the U.S. and in Canada in 1915, uh, he started Chevrolet. And through this, he secretly purchased a controlling interest in GM. So oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Back in through the back door. Yeah. Um, yeah. GM co-founder Charles Stewart Mott, whose carriage company was merged into Buick prior to GM's creation. Mott became yeah. the largest single stockholder in GM spent his life with the Mott Foundation, which benefited the city of Flint, his adopted home. Yeah, um, yeah if you want to read about some, some, uh, some early, a lot of the, the people from the early days of, uh, of automobiles, just so fascinating. Um, you know, uh, read about uh, Louis Chevrolet and uh, his brother. Oh my gosh, I got to look it up now. Because um, his brother was hilarious. Um, do, 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 uh, Louis Chevrolet. Cause Louis Chevrolet had absolutely no, there, there was, you know, they were, they were Swiss and, um, he, uh, Gaston. Yeah. Gaston, Gaston. <laughs> Gaston, Gaston was, believe it or not, he was the real kind of developer. Louis just, he just loved 
driving race cars and that's all he really wanted to do was just drive race cars and he ended up dying in a race car so that kind of thing anyways but um going back to general motors you know you, you've got you know the, the the history of general motors and and how they just kind of started grabbing and grabbing and grabbing and grabbing and grabbing and and uh at one time they even tried to buy you know ford in the early days um and <clears throat> what ended up happening is, is by the time you get to 1970 general motors is just a behemoth um you know in the 70s and, and going into the very early 80s um you know general motors passed ford as you know the number one manufacturer of automobiles but not only did they have that what 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 durant put together uh, you know, th- there's a company that used to be uh, in, in, in action um, called Delco. Delco developed a lot of stuff. Um, one of the things that Delco did is they were the first to um, pa- uh, file a patent for the starter, the electric starter uh, that I believe was in Cadillacs for the first time. I believe uh, right. But but so they became just absolutely gigantic. The problem is, is that they, there was, there's a, a union called the United Automobiles Workers or UAW. And the UAW is extremely powerful. Um, now, I think that they. Largest union in the world. Are they the largest union in the world? I wouldn't be surprised. Look it up, but uh, please continue. Um, but uh, the one of the biggest things is that the that the UAW did was in the early. Uh, hold on, I'm also looking this up on Wikipedia. Um, did you, did you do? Uh, yeah, so it was founded in 1935. So. And in 1935, and I'm pretty sure throughout the 20s, because the 20s was a huge bustling boom to the automotive world. I mean, you had anything and everything was being built. Uh, I, I believe I'm correct that in the 1920s, there was over 200 American manufacturers of automobiles. Of, of you know of course there were some much bigger than others you know that were actually successful and stuff like that one you know several of them built like one-offs and stuff and everything um but the you but <laughs> the working conditions were atrocious like 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 super you know just horrid um you know the the, the manufacturing process to create the Model T, for instance, was so tedious um, that people, are, people would develop um, you know, serious emotional problems just from just being stuck in one spot for you know, 12, 14-hour days. Um, you know, because and, and if you worked for Henry Ford, he had an eye on every single thing that you did. 
uh, a little known fact about Henry Ford is that he, he, he created the Model T, but his whole idea in it was to create um, a, a working class society. And, and he really wanted to shape how people worked. Um, in the early 1930s, uh, he was actually a uh, he, he was actually an admirer of Adolf Hitler's and what the Nazis were doing with uh, with the German society uh, in, within Germany. You know, I'm sure he didn't realize that the guy was, you know, sociopathic, you know, genocidal maniac. But anyways, but 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 the UAW, what started off as a, a, a just you know, trying to, you know, protect the, uh, the people making cars, they also became very powerful themselves. And um, I believe, um, I believe most of the, I know all of General Motors uh, plants in North America are governed by the UAW. Um, I think I think all of Ford's. Well, I thought it was all the American companies. I mean, even though even though FCA is technically Italian now, my understanding is that the factory is still UAW. At least the American. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't yeah. doubt it at all. Um, you know, a lot of manufacturer, a lot of uh, automotive manufacturers uh, who have come to America uh, or have started in America, so like. Uh, Tesla, I know, is not a uh, is not a U uh, is not a unionized right. UAW right. factory. Um, I don't. Believe, I don't believe any of Hondas, any of Toyotas. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure about the Germans, so I'm not sure about. I think Volkswagen may be UAW, um, I, but I don't. Think not much. The Germans are doing in the U.S. Um, the biggest one I know of is the in the Carolinas, uh, the um, BMW SUV factory. Yeah, BMW. Um, I think Mercedes is making, you know, a decent number of cars in the United States. Um, interesting note I just ran across actually while we were researching this is uh, the Numi plant, as it's still known, uh, which which is where all the Teslas are made in Fremont in Northern California, um, was originally a Toyota and General Motors joint venture. And it was the only time that um, Toyotas were made under the UAW and the factory was closed due to bankruptcy. Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't, yeah. And, and I'm about to get to that. So anyways, so what, what ended up happening was is throughout the 90s um, with, uh, with the real rocketing of success of Toyota, Honda, Nissan, just really just taking the auto, the American automotive manufacturers to task for creating, you know, cheap, unreliable, crappy built cars, you know, plasticky on the inside and not really, you know, good and everything like that. And you know, and and especially the Japanese, and uh, and and later on the, you know the um, 
you know, nowadays, I guess, uh, you know, the, the Koreans are starting to kind of do that kind of a thing. Um, but where, when, when the threat of the Japanese automotive manufacturers came in, creating these cars that had a lot of thought into them, the ergonomics of them, there was an attention to detail that just wasn't in, you know, in the, 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 the American manufacturers, especially General Motors. I mean, the, take, take General Motors' flagship, the Corvette, like their, 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 their banner that they hold high over their head of like just the pinnacle of, of all of their just technology and power and everything like that. And, you know, the, 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 the ZR1, you know, Corvette now, which is just an absolute fantastic handling and maneuvering car and everything like that. And the number one thing that they talk about on the inside is Matt. Uh, the fact that it smells like plastic. Yeah. Especially if you get in when it's warm. Yeah. Plastic. Plastic. And uh, hold on. I, I got to take a look at this. Uh, and, and while you're well, looking at this, Zach, go ahead. Um, part of the reason it smells like plastic is because the body's made of fiberglass. And part of it is because they're using some of the cheapest plastic available, the stuff that feels hard. And you can, it has that hollow knocking sound when it's almost, almost brittle when you put your hand on it. Um, they're not the only ones by any means, but they definitely use a lot more of it than a lot of the other companies. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's being said about a car. Now, mind you, a car that starts starts base price at $118,000. Well, okay. Base price at $118,000. I guarantee the, the, you're not walking out of the dealership for less than 140. The Corvette ZR1, which is the top model of the Corvette. Yes, that is true. However, the base model Corvette is what? 55 or 60? Yeah, basically. And to the average Joe, they look the same? Not to you and me. Uh, I, I, th that wing in the back, though. Correct. That yeah, and, and, the, and, the, and the bulge in the hood. Okay. But it's, it still looks like a Corvette. And so Joe Average goes into a dealership and says, hey, saw that fancy new Corvette. That will, you know, uh, I want one like that. I, I can see they start at like 60000 and all of a sudden, you find out that the price is more than double to get to get a wing and a bulge on the hood. Yeah, but see, all of that comes from the fact that because the UAW has been so they they've they've been so well they've they've been so effective at doing what they try to do because most unions most unions don't have the power to really throw their influence around like the UAW. Most of them have to kind of have this compromise, you know, with whoever the manufacturer is, you know, to kind of get this like corporate and union balancing act, which is really, you know, which is really necessary. But the fact that the UAW is so powerful in the, in, in you know, with, let's just say just General Motors, because Ford has actually done some stuff, which I'm actually quite proud of, 
uh, proud of them for, which is they're really kind of, uh, instead of going down the road of taking, you know, bailout money, which we'll talk about in just a minute, um, you know, they kind of restructure themselves and kind of worked out a way to, you know, to kind of keep themselves going without taking, you know, this big handout kind of a thing, because they knew the strings attached to it. Um, so, so because, because you had so much, so, so much pension stuff happening, um, that you just couldn't, um, I think Bob Lutz, uh, who was the, hold on, uh, see your General Motors. Wait, yeah, Bob Lutz. Go ahead. General manager for a while? Well, I think he was the, um, he was the president of General Motors in, Anyways, but he was the president of. Interesting. He and the Chevrolet boys were all Swiss. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Uh, Vice chairman of General Motors, vice chairman. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Um, Executive vice president of Ford, then president, and then vice chairman of Chrysler, and then vice chairman of General Motors. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, so Bob Lutz had, you know, I mean, so he's had some experience with the other manufacturers and stuff. I mean, he's he's been around, you know, the automotive world on on how everything is made, and it was it was really cool because when he first came to General Motors in the late '90s, it was hailed as this just this this fantastic, wonderful thing because, you know, he's going to be able to inject a lot of real spice into stuff. Um, and, and he, and, and he did do that somewhat. Um, I mean, he was able to kind of inject some, uh, some flair into Pontiac. Uh, it, it's from Bob Lutz that we got, um, you know, the, the WS6 package for the Trans Am. Yeah, he kind of greenlit that, you know, the big two snorkels right on the big nostrils on the front of that hood you know, one of the scariest looking vehicles ever built, yeah. um, you know, uh, and we, we also got the, uh, uh, the, uh, the Chevy Cobalt SS, uh, one of the most underrated, you know, small compact, you know, cars that at the time was more than a match for anything the Japanese were doing with small compact well, cars. I do have to. There's there's some important qualifications to that. It is an incredible incredible track car from from General Motors and Chevrolet. It's not that great to sit in. It's not that great to look. No, out. no, no. no. Its track performance is unequivocal. Yeah, but uh, you know, but I mean, he said that you know that uh, he was expecting to come, uh, you know, to come and. Uh, in charge of a uh, of a car company and he said i I, ha- I showed up and i found out that i was actually uh the manager of a uh, of a pension fund um that uh, just happened to make cars 
I'm, I'm paraphrasing that, but it, it was it was that uh, it, it was that bad that you know because everything goes through the 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 accounting department, everything. So all decisions and everything like that. Uh, probably one of my one of the things that I, I look at the most was in the in the late '90s there was a car going around the uh, uh, a kind of a concept that General Motors had uh, through Pontiac uh, been floating around called the Rageous. And if any if any of you look it up, it's an awesome looking little car. Um, and and and. And they showed it off enough and often, or yeah, they showed it often enough um, that everybody was like, oh my gosh, what are they going to make out of this? You know, what, 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 is, what vehicle will be coming from this? You know, it was, it, was it going to be like the new Trans Am, you know, you know, the new Firebird, you know, what, what was it going to be? <laughs> and, and it became the Aztec. <laughs> Yes, it did. <laughs> and uh, you know the the Aztec was functionally it was it was a pretty decent you know car. It just looked like the back end of a baboon. <laughs> well, the, the, okay, the funny thing about the Aztec, forget all the all the Breaking Bad stuff for for just a minute. But the funny thing about the Aztec is if you take away the looks, which I encourage you to try to do, as difficult as that is. If you, if, you look at the, if you look at the Aztec, no, sorry, wrong, wrong turn of phrase. If you look at a spreadsheet of the Aztec in terms of its specs, and you go with the fact that it's a V6 transverse unibody, five-seater, cargo capacity, power tailgate option, and so on and so forth, it's a crossover that was ahead of its time. It was. It was very ahead of its time. Available in all-wheel drive. Um, and actually, a pretty decent all-wheel drive. Almost, I believe it was uh, the all-wheel drive system almost completely lifted off of the uh, the S10 Blazer. That's that's my understanding. Um, but yeah, and then, and then and then you look at it, and <laughs> to use the phrase "a face only a mother could love" is sort of an insult to mothers. Um, yeah, it's just awful from every every angle it's awful now, now i do have to add a caveat there was or there is an actual pontiac aztec following well of course um, there is but there's those people who follow tom green the comedian so no one's perfect <laughs> great yeah sure okay <laughs> we'll go with that then Anyways, but so so that that gives you kind of an idea, you know, because throughout the '90s, because they weren't able to, because of how, you know, and, and and I'm not I'm not saying anything bad about the UAW. I really want to you know stress this to everybody, you know, I'm not saying that that the that the union itself is bad, because the union actually you know was doing what it was supposed to do. It just General Motors didn't have the testicle fortitude to, to use a, a turn of phrase to stand up to them and go, look, we need you guys to back off a little bit. We need you guys to give in some. 
so that we can, you know, do this correctly so that we can be an actual player and increase the quality of our automobiles. But they never did. They wouldn't do that. Uh, they, they, they were just too scared to, to make that thing. And so they were doing stuff that they had to do, which they just, they started selling off just a bunch of all different types of things and stuff. And, uh, you know, different, you know, assets that they had collected over the years to try and, you know, you know, drum up money and drum up money and drum up money. And the problem is, is they just kept, they kept throwing it into this bottomless well that just kept getting bigger and deeper. And all of that came to a head when in 2008, you know, right after the financial crisis of 2007, stocks dropped to the point of where GM stockholders were like, hey, what, you know, what, what's going on? And they were, you know, all, all three, you know, major American manufacturer, car manufacturers, you know, Chrysler, which I believe at that time was Daimler Chrysler. You had um, Chrysler, Ford, and General Motors. All three of them were like, hey, we're running out of money because our stocks have dropped through the absolute floor and nobody's buying cars. So Ford restructured itself. Um, Daimler Chrysler got partially bought you know, or, or mostly bought by Fiat. And, uh, and you're kind of familiar with that, Matt. I am. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the gist of it is that um, Daimler, which, you know, Daimler, Mercedes, whatever you want to call it these days, essentially said, um, this didn't really work out. So we're cutting ties with you and we're out of here. And um, Fiat saw an opportunity to get a um, foothold into the American market and jumped on it. And so that's what they have. So you have cars as cheap as, you know, say the Chrysler 200, which needed to go away. And, um, and as high up as, well, Ferrari for a while and now Maserati, um, because they only own 15% of, of Ferrari. But um, yeah, uh, let's see what else we were going to get into was um, in 09, uh, GM had to kill off. And I think, you know, it's all pretty well justified, but Killed off Pontiac, Saturn, Hummer, and Oldsmobile. Well, so so I, I I've actually got this little table right here, and I can actually tell you. So before July tenth of two thousand nine, once again, this is kind of this is a uh, Wikipedia uh, under their uh, their their chapter uh, their chapter eleven, which is kind of interesting because they did file bankruptcy, but it was a it, it, it was it was a chapter 11 but the 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 US government came the US government and the Canadian government came in and kind of put a little bit of polishing on it so that it wasn't as bad as as it as it should have been um, so they had one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven they had 12 uh, uh, nameplates. They, they, they had 12 actual uh, manufacturing lines that they had for automobiles. 
afterwards, they only had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, one of which was Holden, which they actually just closed. Yeah. <laughs> just, just recently. So, you know, so, it, so instead of, you know, it, so instead of being a regular company, now, now this is another thing that's really kind of interesting is because it was who owned, uh, you know, who, who, who was the ownership before the, before the chapter 11, common stockholders, bondholders, and secured creditors. Wow, that sounds like a corporation, right? Pretty much. After, yeah, afterwards, the United States Treasury... Canada Development Investment Corporation, Government of Ontario, old GM bondholders, not shareholders, the UAW and the CAW. The CAW is Canadian, basically auto workers. <laughs> but but before before the before the chapter 11 they were in the hole $94.7 billion. How does a company that huge have a debt that big? And it's because of they just have all of these outstanding, you know, pensions and all of this other stuff, these this the stuff that they've that the UAW has gotten for their uh they're 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 union workers and it was unsustainable it was absolutely unsustainable you know unsustainable but what should have happened is is it should have been broken up all these different companies they tried to sell hummer they tried to sell saturn you know they, they 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 tried to sell opal and holden but nobody would buy it because it came with these strings attached and if they had just gone through an actual chapter 11 where everything was dissolved and sold off, do you not think that there would have been investors lined up around the corner to buy the nameplate Pontiac? Really? You'd think. I mean, you know, it's – 09 was a weird time. It's, it's, it's hard to say. The, you brought up something earlier that I want to circle back to just for a minute, which is – okay. If there's one overriding theme of the whole GM thing over the last 20, 30 years, whatever you want to call it, it's it's constantly looking for the quick fix financially that's going to right the right the ship and put them back where they need to be. Exactly. But not playing the long game, but looking for the quick fix. And it absolutely sunk them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And because in 2009, what should have happened didn't happen, um, you have what happened just of what a month ago? Yeah, November 26th, less than a month ago. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they just closed. Uh, hold on. How many? Three, three plants? Refactories. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm. So I'm, I'm reading an article on the New York Times. 
Um, and, uh, and, and, and poor, poor GM chief executive, uh, Mary Barra, I believe that's how you pronounce the last name is Barra, B-A-R-R-A. Well, she, she came into GM as, as, as a CEO. And, and I think she has been trying to do what most CEOs of, including, you know, Bob Lutz, as much as I I admire Bob Lutz, I, I think, I think she actually wanted to correct everything. Um, she's the one who actually exposed the whole. Um, did, did did you hear about the whole thing with the uh, with the ignition switches? Well, how how General can, Motors? It was like, it was it was until Dieselgate. It was the biggest cover up deception problem thing that. Oh oh yeah yeah. Ever. I mean it was. Um, uh, it, it's uh, it, and for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, basically from what I understand the if if you hit like a hard bump or something or uh or if you accidentally maybe like hit it with your hit it with your knee or something like that um the uh the ignition switch could actually flip to the off position as you were driving and all of the uh what's called what's known as the srs the safety restraint system it's the airbags the pretensioners for your seatbelt all of that type of stuff, all of the uh, all the the impact sensors, and, and and accelerometers, and all of that stuff. That's that's all part of the SRS system. And what they did was is to simplify the system. It was all of that was only on when the key was in the on position. So. If the switch turned off and you, because you now no longer have control over your vehicle because it's off, your power steering is out, your power brakes are out, and then you go off and you hit a tree, your airbag's not going to deploy. But instead of fixing it, General Motors, what's up? The whole thing started with faulty parts. They were saving five cents by not using parts that had a longer lifespan and better durability. Yeah. And they cut corners with the fact that the system wasn't, you know, didn't have a constant, you know, didn't have a constant power to it, that it was wired through this ignition switch kind of a thing. And, you know, uh, I, I, I'm not sure if there were any fatalities from it or anything like that. Um, but, uh, but, but she, Mary, Mary Barra, she actually found out about it and exposed it, which is not something a CEO normally does. It normally, um, but anyways, but, um, but yeah, but I mean, it's, You know, they they GM wanted to cut, I believe it was ten percent of their uh, of their workforce. So they were offering early buyouts, stuff like that. They closed 
um, five plants, I think. Um, and uh, they killed off how many, Matt, can you find out how many, um, how many cars they, oh, wait, no, I got the list right here. I mean, you mean the, the latest one, the one uh, three weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, I want to say seven or eight. Um, three yeah. Three that I know of, but. Yeah, seven or eight. And some of them, like, you know, the Chevy Cruze, which, uh, I mean, I, I think both you and I kind of admit that that was, you know, kind of uh, mostly for rental car fleet companies and stuff like that. Not a bad car in its own right. But, but wasn't not a bad a car. It was the problem. What's that? Not a great car either. That's the problem. Well, uh, no, I think the problem is, is that when, when when GM came out of their came out of their their pseudo restructuring in two thousand and nine, gasoline prices were through the roof, and everybody was expecting it to stay that way, and they threw all of their effort into small, either compact or subcompact cars. Right, Spark, Cruise. Yeah, through, through very little effort into SUVs, and that's where everything came to. I mean, right. Ford just made the decision. Uh, you know, check out our uh, our podcast on uh, you know the SUV era, and uh, because gasoline has stayed as low as it is for as long as it has, that's given the the manufacturers the ability to just concentrate on making SUVs. Uh, now, most importantly, they've been able to make SUVs much more, much lighter um, because they're not focusing on the off-road worthiness of it because they came to the conclusion that people don't actually take SUVs off-road. Um, I have, uh, yeah, so they don't take them off-road and stuff. But because General Motors doesn't have the didn't use the ability to change course very quickly you had several cars that just were useless you know and it's like so, I mean, they kill off the impala and people a lot of people said wait they still make the impala and the truth is nobody buys full-size sedan. if you're buying a full-size sedan you're buying something german it's just the way it is there's you know the Avalon's not selling. The Impala's not selling. Um, even the Maserati Quattroporte is not selling. You're either buying an S-Class or you're buying an uh, Audi A8 or maybe you're buying a 7 Series. That's it. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that that car more than deserves that. You know, it's, in, in, in part, it's, you know, it's being realistic with what's selling and, and what's not. Um, but GM just, one one thing I want I do want to get back to real quickly about the ignition switch. That the most galling thing of the entire ignition switch fiasco was when GM realized there was a problem. They replaced the switch with a with a better functioning version and didn't change the part number so that no one would know there was a possible problem. Uh, yes. And then when the problem came it was double or triple as bad because they had to replace everything with that part number, regardless yep. of whether it had a problem or not. Yep, including all the new stuff. See, when you have companies, 
So I, I, I want to use an example of a company that does something responsible when something happens. Uh, and, and, and I want, and, and, and we may do a, uh, you know, a, a whole podcast, uh, you know, on different companies and stuff like that and their history and, and who they are culturally and, you know, within that. Um, but, but I want to talk about Honda real quick and their reaction to the Takata airbag. Um, and, uh, and, and I don't, I don't want to go too in-depth or anything like that, but there was a problem with Takata airbags. Um, realistically, it was only in humid areas and only for there, – there was only a problem with the airbags because there was no desiccant in the, uh, in the inflator unit. And so in humid areas, the, uh, the, the, uh, the propellant – um, the, the actual uh, explosive uh, powder inside of the uh, in, inside of the inflator unit would get wet and would not inflate uh, would not explode properly at, at in a controlled manner. It would it would actually uh, explode quite aggressively and would rupture the inflator. And so if the airbag went off, it would send that shrapnel actually through the airbag uh, into uh, the occupant of the car. Um, and because Takata did some kind of sneaky stuff to kind of try to hide all of this, the cars affected only went up to, I believe, 2009, maybe even earlier, like 2006. Uh, I'll have to do some more research on that. But most manufacturers would have said, yeah, uh, the only cars uh, affected are these cars within these years, and uh, we're not going to worry about anything else. Honda took the extra step, said, you know what? We can't trust anything Takata says. Uh, we're replacing every single one of them and rolled out a series of recalls to replace all the Takata airbags. Uh, as of 2014, no Honda was available with a Takata airbag. All the airbags had been replaced with something else, uh, either 14 or 15. Um, and I know there was a major effort in 2014. Um, so maybe by the model year 2015, everything was replaced with somebody else. Um, they then went on a campaign to find the airbags. And this is where thing, this is where the real responsibility of what you put out there comes, comes into play. And that is they got a group, they, they created a team that went out to uh, junkyards to find the airbags in these junkyards and to buy them from the junkyards. So that, so that nobody can come to the junkyards and get them. And then they just recently, within the last, I think, year, year and a half, hired up teams to go to people's houses that were the last registered that they could find of these cars that were affected that hadn't had the recall done on them. I mean, I mean that's above and beyond. Pretty incredible. 
Yeah. That they were that concerned about it. Yeah. So, you know, so, so, so in, in my own personal opinion, that's how you're supposed to, you know, that's how you're supposed to react to something like that. Not, oh crap, let's hide it, but oh no, let's get, let's get this out there. Let's get ahead of it. You know, let's, let's, let's take care of it. You know, and so I, I think, you know, kind of getting back to what we're dealing with now with General Motors having to once again go through, you know, a, a, a shrinkage, um, you know, kind of anti-growth spurt, <laughs> um, you know, and a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, you know, what's going on? And it, well, it, it's, just, it's the same old, same old. You know, and I, I think they, they have, if, if they could get themselves under control, if they could assert themselves and find, you know, and, and kind of find a, a nice middle ground with the UAW. And, and, and I think the UAW could help out too with this for the most part, you know, um, that 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 if if General Motors was able to put all of their effort into making a high quality product, I I don't you know uh, companies like Honda and Nissan and you know I, I would even dare say Volkswagen wouldn't stand a chance. What do you think, Matt? Take it took a big, big cultural change from within to make that happen. Um, GM is still under the impression, which I think is... Well, anyway, GM is still under the impression that what people care about is a car that looks great and drives well for four to five years, and then after that, it can get thrown away and doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, it comes in at a reasonable cost, whatever that means to them. They got a good yeah. deal. It's, it's more about image than it is about substance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they expect a durable pickup truck, which they provide. Everything else, meh. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 I, and I don't want anybody to think that, you know, that, uh, you know, the, get what I'm saying is wrong. They don't make a bad product. I, I, I could really honestly say that I don't think I don't think anybody makes a bad car. There are some not great cars. <laughs> well, it's, but, I mean, but okay, you may be right. The, in the in the general zeitgeist of auto journalism today is that nobody makes a bad car. You can't really go wrong with any of them. Pick the one you like the best and go for it. However, uh, I, I don't like that last part. I think you, I think there are some that you can definitely go wrong with. Right, right. Of course, I mean, you know, and, and and you and I have been, you know, waist deep in this industry for quite a while now, um, in various um, capacities. But yeah, the, the the big thing is, and the thing that people still don't get for the most part. And the problem is, and I, I partly blame journalists for this, and I partly don't because I understand sort of where they're coming from, is 
there was there's a very distinct line and it's cars that are good up to 100,000 miles and there are cars that are good for well over 100,000 miles yeah and basically without being specific essentially you've got Honda and Toyota on one side of the line and everybody else on the other yeah you know yeah except, I, I think, pickup, uh, except in American pickup trucks pretty much yeah you know? and I think um, you know it's 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 funny because you have you know especially you know because if you kind of show General Motors versus let's say Honda they are really truly two sides you know just two complete opposite sides of the spectrum you have General Motors which is you know style and flash over substance and then you have Honda <laughs> which is which is all substance uh, not really any style definitely no flash and, um and what 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 blows me away and love what you and I talked about many years ago was 4 years ago give or take the the Malibu and the Accord looked so similar from the outside and to the uninitiated were similar driving on the inside at least when they were brand new yeah and then, try you know but then drive them both at 80,000 miles and tell me that those two cars are similar oh yeah absolutely you know yeah. i mean there it's and, and and i think that's really kind of the key to you know to all of this is you know if i i think there could be for general motors i think there could be a light at the end of the tunnel you know i I, I really honestly do. Um, I just think if it, it, it's going to take, like, like, like you said, it's, it's, it's a complete switch of mindset. Mm-hmm. You, you've got to basically, you know, you've got to, you've almost got to you know, not necessarily start from the beginning and stuff, but I think I, I, I think the platform sharing um, across the uh, across the the, the model the, the 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 manufacturing lines um, has done more harm than good. Oh, absolutely! Uh, because the distinction is, you know, the the the, the thing that killed off Saab killed off. Pontiac that killed off Oldsmobile that killed off uh, Saturn is the fact that you could go in and drive a car from each and every single one of those. That's, That's four manufacturing lines. And you could go in and drive one car from each of those. And it was the same car, same engine, same transmission, same suspension, just in a different package. And, 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 and they, they absolutely did it. And if they could take each individual manufacturing line, 
uh, and, and, I, and I think a good example of this is probably Toyota. So Toyota with their, with their Lexus, there, there is some sharing Most between Toyota and Lexus. Yeah, but not all. Yeah, but Lex, Toyota has concentrated on creating a, an identity and, and not just a superficial surface identity, but an actual substantial or substance, sub, sub, substantive, tidiv, tidiv, tidiv. substantive. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, identity that there's actually some stuff where it's so it, you, it's so easily differentiated between the two of them. Um, but so if you go quick, just to jump in here for a second, if someone so I heard I read someone somewhere once that if you ask a person today under the age of thirty and you say they want them to describe something that is luxurious or excellent, they call it the Lexus of, not the Cadillac. Yeah. Like we like Which we used to. So sad. But it's. If nothing else, when pop culture does that, that tells you the state of the industry. Yeah, you know that this this yeah. this is the uh, this this is the Lexus of laptop computers. This is the Lexus of iPhones, whatever it is. Well, when I can go and drive a Cadillac, and then turn around and drive a GMC Terrain, and I just drove basically the same vehicle. Yeah. And you're talking a price swing of $15,000? Sure. 15 to 20. That sounds about right. I mean, that's insane. You know, I mean, it, 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 you go and you drive a, uh, a Toyota RAV4, and then you go and you drive an RX. Whatever number they've gotten to now, it's 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 not it's not the RX. It's the uh, Highlander and the RX, but that's okay. Is the RX the Highlander? I thought it was a Rav Four. No, no, it's um the the, the Camry chassis is underneath the uh, the RX, the Highlander, and the uh, uh, ES. Okay, so what is the the Rav Four chassis? The, uh, the NX. NX. Thank you. Well, it used to be it used to be the Rav Four and the RX many years ago, like when it was the RX three thirty or three three hundred. No, yeah, still the camera. That's okay though. Okay. Okay. Anyways, Matt pays attention to that stuff, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite. Yeah. So, anyways, but but if but, but I think if getting back to the subject really quickly and kind of winding things down here, I I, I honestly I think if, if General Motors can kind of just restructure themselves to where each individual automotive line it manufacturing line is concentrated on exclusively um i you know i i think you could you could get some really cool things happening uh they still own like Oldsmobile they still own, you know, all these different things. Um, when they first came out with Saturn, Saturn was its own company. 
there wasn't anything on the Saturn that was compatible with anything else. Their own engine, their own transmission, their own ideas of you know how to do stuff and everything like that. I think that was perfect. And, and if they could go back to that and kind of try to concentrate on that instead of doing this platform sharing between the manufacturing lines um, and, uh, you know, and kind of, and I, and I, and I, and I think it's, it's kind of ironic that, you know, the most, uh, the most manned up, you know, anyone's ever really been in General Motors is Mary Barra, <laughs> you know, she's, so, she's so. job. I mean, she was, she was handed, handed a pile of manure and she, uh, she's really created a shiny jewel out of it. Yeah. So, so I, think, so, I, so I think if we can kind of sum all this up into one thing, um, I, th I, I think General Motors needs to quit manning up and I think they need a woman up apparently to, uh, to, to kind of get their house in order and, uh, and become what for better or worse, William C. Durant tried to create in 1908. So Matt, do you have anything else? Uh, no, uh, just as a reminder, MZ Car Guys, uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, um, and uh, podcasting. So uh, look us up. And if you have any questions, any comments, any feedback, please, please do email us, mzcarguys at gmail.com. Uh, I'm Matt. I'm Zach. And uh, vroom, vroom. Have a good one. Have a good night, guys. All right, bye.